investing in companies that make the stuff that is going to store the energy of the future. The Money Show. The Markets. To Peter Brook. Uh, Peter Brook is a portfolio manager at the Old Mutual Investment Group. And I saw Christine Lagarde's statements earlier today. She is the head of the European Central Bank, saying it's too early to call a peak on inflation. She sounded like she was echoing Lissetia Chaniaho from last week, except this time she's talking about Europe and Chaniaho about South Africa, of course, Peter. But um, the world's still not in control of inflation, not by a long shot. Inflation is such a fascinating topic at the moment, Bruce. We actually spent, um, we were on a big risk meeting this morning at a, as a team, and one of the key risks is inflation can go either way. And it also depends on what time horizon you're talking about. So from my point of view, these very high inflation levels means that inflation will drop in the next year. That's guaranteed, I think. It's more about what's the underlying rate. And part of the problem that the central banks are trying to fight is you know, so it might drop from eight to four, but four is way above the two percent level that they're aiming at. Or in a South African context, if you think about our band, it's it's running too high. So they're fighting a different fight. They they're actually fighting the longer term or the average inflation problem. And there, I think, it's a very uncertain environment because there's you got geopolitics, you got wars, you got you know OPEC. There's so many different areas here that make it tricky. So I think. Short-term inflation definitely peaked. It's coming down. Longer-term structural inflation, if we talk about the average for the next five to ten years, it's going to be higher than it was previously, and that leaves central banks a bit stuck, and that means higher rates for longer. Yeah, I mean, she was saying as much last week was Christine Lagarde, and uh, there have been some members of the European Central Bank sort of talking down inflation expectations, and she, I think, has just reminded us that it is still very much in the fabric of what they've got with which they have to contend. Certainly a key factor in our inflation equation is the oil price. And uh, just chatting to to Peter Armitage this evening about oil prices, he doesn't expect a price much below where it's sitting at the moment at $80, $82 a barrel. Do you have a different outlook on oil? I think that's probably correct. Meryl Pick's our expert on this, and she's quite bullish on oil generally because of the lack of investment that has gone into production. And the whole energy complex, I saw last week another coal mine has been cancelled. It's not getting environmental approvals. So you think about energy as a whole, I think it will be higher. And then in terms of, don't forget, the U.S. has been running around, running down their reserves in terms of the U.S. government. So they will have to top that up. So once prices drop a little bit further, they enter the market. That creates a flaw. OPEX cuts back on production. That creates a flaw. And then China, it's, I, I think this whole COVID thing is fascinating in terms of the pressure that's coming there, the potential for change to come. And generally bad news is good news in the future and vice versa. And you've got to think ahead to, look, at things could get a bit messy in the short term, but our proof was that actually Omicron, and that was our gift to the world, was very good for um, the whole COVID problem and allowing things to open up. And if China can get to that space, that'll be a big, big positive factor for the world economy and particularly for um, oil. Mm. Bank came out with a trading update today. I think it made for fairly interesting reading. Market liked the trading update. Things seem to be going okay? Yeah, I think pretty solid, Bruce. Um, good numbers and 
generally we're pretty positive on the banks, and that's a global phenomenon if you think about rising interest rates, banks are beneficiaries. But also generally, you know, coming out of COVID, lots of reserves. So, um, and for the first time, we're also seeing something interesting, which is banks, not so much in Standard Bank's case, um, but globally, better cost control. So you've invested for years and years and years in the technology. Now everyone's gone online. You're actually taking out branches. You're reformatting your people operations, which means that you don't have to grow your costs as much. The question I have, I mean, from that perspective, particularly when it comes to banks, is how you reach your customers and how you sell them stuff without annoying them uh, in terms of endless spam emails going, hello, would you like another product? Would you like another policy? Would you like more of this? Would you like more of this? Which, you know, standing in a bank queue 20 years ago, you were bombarded with passive posters and information, um, you know, that were, that were sent to you in the digital world. I know the customer acquisition seems to be a, a lot more difficult. City Lodge and Liberty Two Degrees, I suppose, have something in common. Uh, City Lodge says it's got uh, back to pre-pandemic levels and better than pre-pandemic levels in terms of its occupancies. And Liberty Two Degrees saying that its blue chip properties are actually performing quite well. It feels like people are sort of willing to go out, willing to spend, willing to, to spend nights in hotels. Yeah, I was actually chatting to the head of Growth Point in our offices last week. And you look at the V&A waterfront, they're very bullish in terms of the season. I think there's pent-up demand. I think South Africa is going to have a good season in terms of tourism. And that's going to provide a little bit of support in what is obviously a tougher environment as interest rates grow, go up. So, I mean, when we look at the sort of performances that we're seeing, though, one wonders just, I mean, City Lodge before COVID was struggling in a massively competitive environment, lots of room nights available at quite heavily discounted prices. Uh, I wonder if that battle is still one that they're going to have to fight into 2023. That's next year. Um, you know, in, especially in the face of quite low numbers of, of aircraft and airlines and airline routes, we're nowhere near the sort of levels of business travel and all of that sort of stuff that we were before 2020. Yeah, I, I suppose that's that's the critical point, isn't it, Bruce? It's business. I think the way we operate has fundamentally changed. So you think about um, work from home, you look at the number of days, you look at the need to justify a trip. I think there will be less business travel. Uh, but on the other side, I suppose I was talking more about the tourism travel yeah. where actually we're getting a lot more flights into Cape Town particularly and that so the world shifts and I think that that structurally the oversupply in office echoes the same concept as the oversupply in business travel or hotels and yeah it's flights are brutally expensive at the moment it's you really got to have a good reason to fly you most certainly do. And again, that sort of resolves itself over time, I suppose, in terms of it'll open the way for, um, you know, uh, we've, we've never had a shortage of people willing to take a flutter on an airline uh, in the past. And I, I'm, I'm suspecting that as things settle down and as traffic begins to resume and the, if the airlines are a bit slow to add capacity, they will find some, some new competitors coming to bear. Uh, we still don't know what will happen to Mango. We still don't know what happens to Kalula.com and to the BA franchise in South Africa. Um, and as to whether or not somebody will be able to take those over in the future and whether or not you know, SAA's new shareholders, should they ever commit, uh, will have an appetite to grow there either. Yeah, I think in terms of infrastructure, if you think about an airline and the, well, it's the same as rail, it's the same as roads, we do need that capacity. And I think we've got the airports, 
there's lots of planes out there. Hopefully that comes to pass. But just one small thing before we finish, Bruce, is I don't know if you saw Roynet produce their results. I did, and I was about to get on to Roynet. Now, Roynet is such an interesting company. It's low-key um, as a business in, on, the, on the JSC. Tell us what you saw within Roynet's results. I think that's probably why I wanted to flag it, because you saw the share was up 7.5% yep. on the results. And it just reinforces that we've got these small and mid-sized companies that no one really looks at anymore, because otherwise you would have known things were a bit better, and, and therefore the price would be more efficient. So, A, there's a huge inefficiency in these small and mid-cap area. It's a share that we own a fair amount of. And the reason for that is on a longer-term basis, you've got a lot of growth opportunities in terms of renewable energy. But if you think of the whole infrastructure thing, we spoke earlier about airlines, but if you think about electricity, the switches, all of the cabling, these sort of areas that you need as a country to operate, they are natural beneficiaries of that. So... I think good results, um, nice growth in terms of operating profit, and quite positive about their book going forward in terms of their order book. And just one other small thing that I thought was fascinating is they've been hurt a lot by the chip shortages. And that's a, an ongoing issue all around the world as we've got supply shortages in different areas. But as they unwind, then actually you release better returns, better growth. So not so good for chip companies, where I'd be negative, but very good for Roynet and a lot of the downstream areas where they can now deliver goods to their customers. Peter Brook, wonderful chat. Thank you very much indeed. He is with the Old Mutual Investment Group. He's a portfolio manager at the Old Mutual Investment Group. On a day where the JSE, in contrast to many other markets in the world, ended the day up, only a third.